how did we get on with this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of assume that virtually everybody got all the vices, okay? Uh, so there they all are. That was the order we did them in. Uh, but I'm, as I say, I'm going to assume we all got... So, let's now see. Pride, what is the virtue? Humility, Mary, thank you. And what is the discipline? Service was one of them. There were actually two disciplines we suggested. Confession and service. Okay? Right. Envy. What was the uh, virtue? Contentment. Yeah. And what was the discipline? Gratitude. Brilliant. Okay. Anger is the vice. What is the virtue? Peace. This is a tricky one. What was the discipline? Silence. That's very good. Gluttony. Virtue. Self-control. Discipline. Fasting. Greed. Virtue. Generosity. Discipline. Sabbath. Well done. Then lust. Virtue. Purity. Yep. And the discipline. Community, yep, community, being part of a community, a safe community. And then finally last week, which I'm sure you all read, sloth, virtue, sorry, courageous endurance, yeah, yeah, there's one other as well. Yeah, courageous endurance, perseverance, passion, and there was actually four, but I've listed two on here. There's one missing. Joy, brilliant. Endurance and joy. And the discipline worship. Uh, Mark very kindly has done a little cards with all of this on it for everybody. So uh, on, on your way out tonight, if you would like one of those little cards that lists the vice, virtue, and the discipline, then please, please make sure you get one before you head home. Uh, this this has been quite a journey, and uh, hopefully it has been a helpful series. But let me go back to the beginning, back to week one, which was the 5th of February. And let me remind you why we set out on this journey, why we decided to do this series together. And the first reason was because we believe that sin is a serious and destructive reality. And although we live in a culture and in a context that wants to trivialize sin, we still recognize sin as the dark enemy of the soul. And that was why we embarked upon this series. And two weeks into the series, you might recall that this article appeared in the Times. Why sinning can be a force for good. And that was an article that was written by a guy who's just released a book called The Joy of Sin. And as Christians and as a church, we don't share that popular perspective. Sin's ultimate payout is death. And it is our sins that separate us from our creator. And as far as we're concerned, where is the joy in that? If its ultimate payout is death, if sin is the thing that separates us from God, then then how can you say say that sinning is is a joy? And therefore, uh, sin as a universal condition, because again, something we said the very first week, all have sinned. And the specific sins such as pride and anger and envy, etc., they're not irrelevant. They're not 
unimportant. They're not trivial issues. Far from it. Sin as a universal condition. Sins, specific sins, are life-determining, life-defining, life-deciding issues. But the second reason, and it's this that I want to develop a little bit more this evening, the second reason for embarking upon this series is that a study of these personal vices, combined with a focus on the virtues, is a catalyst for spiritual growth. That this is about discipleship. It's about spiritual formation. It's about people who want to live their lives well. It's about people who not only want to start well, but want to finish well. It's about being people who want to become more and more like Jesus. That's why this is an important issue and these are important issues and as Christians we are no longer slaves to sin but sin still entices it it still seduces it still entangles to quote the opening uh, words of Hebrews chapter 12 therefore since we're surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And as we have discovered sins such as greed and lust, to name but two, they have not been totally eradicated or extinguished from our lives. They still appeal, they still attempt. And therefore, unless we are intentional, unless we are reflective, unless we are energetic, about confronting them and pursuing a different way, they will still entangle us as Christians. And lots of you have been very honest with me and said during this age, you know, a number of those issues that we have looked at, I still battle with years into this race, years down this road. And I've appreciated some of your honesty with me about that. I really have. Now, spiritual formation, and it's it's so important that I I make this crystal clear. Spiritual formation is not a self-help project. It is a spirit-empowered movement. We can live better lives. But we cannot do it on our own. We can become more like Jesus, but not by ourselves, no matter how determined you might be or believe you are. Yes, we have got what it takes. Every single person who is a Christian here this evening has got what it takes. Now let me put that accurately, or more importantly, let me put that biblically. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You have everything you need to live a godly life. This is possible. We are not and never are left to our own devices. You've got all that you need. But, listen what the Apostle Peter goes on to say. 
For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. So we have everything we need. All of God's resources are at our disposal, but our cooperation is essential. We must engage in this process of transformation. We must be willing to confront the vices and pursue the virtues. We must be willing to practice the disciplines. And we must be willing to allow our characters to be developed. Tom Wright, in his excellent book, Virtue Reborn, puts it like this. It's a long quote, but it's worth saying in full. The person has to choose again and again to develop the moral muscles and skills which will shape and form the fully flourishing character. And so, just as a long, steady program of physical training will enable you to do all kinds of things like running a marathon, walk 30 miles a day, lift heavy objects which you previously never would have thought possible, so the long, steady program of working on the character strengths, the virtues, will enable you to live in a way you would never have thought possible, avoiding moral traps and pitfalls and exhibiting a genuine, flourishing human life. Now, that's one of those quotes that, honestly, you just take away and reflect on for long enough. But it is brilliant. Let me put it really simply. Virtue is acquired through practice. And virtues are excellences of character, habits or dispositions of character that help us live well as human beings. Now I don't know about you, and this may may seem a bit morbid and inappropriate, but whenever my time is up, I would love it that as people reflected on my life, that they might be able to speak with integrity about the reality of these virtues in my life. Can you imagine people talking about you using words such as humility and generosity and contentment and purity and joy and endurance? Well, they can or they might, but it involves a daily ongoing decision to make every effort. A commitment on our part to confront the vice and pursue the virtue in a spirit-empowered movement. Aristotle once famously wrote, Virtue helps us both to live and act well and to be good people. But these qualities of character that are so positive, that are so attractive, that are so life-enhancing, which Jesus and his first followers insist on as vital signs of healthy Christian living, they don't come about automatically. You have to make a conscious choice to allow the Holy Spirit to form your character. Now, As I was preparing for this and I was reflecting on this and reading about this, I realized that there may be some people who are a little nervous about where I seem to be placing the emphasis. That this all sounds a little bit too much like a works-based rather than faith-based salvation or sanctification process. Very aware of that. So let me be clear about something. Salvation 
Eternal life is a gift. A God-given gift. It is never something we earn. And so anything that I say, or have said, or will say, takes place simply and solely within the framework of grace. The grace which was embodied in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, which next week we will meet together to recall and celebrate. The grace which is still active in spirit-filled preaching of the gospel. And the grace which continues to be active by the Spirit in and through our lives. In no way am I suggesting or am I implying or indicating that God does some of the work of our salvation And we then have to suss out or work out how to do the rest. And if people went away and thought that that's what I was implying, well then you'd be right to brand me a complete heretic. But even though, even though, and I I believe this teaching comes through from Paul and many of the other early Christian writers, even though we cannot make ourselves fit for God, That we cannot somehow pull ourselves up to God's moral standards by our own efforts. That doesn't mean, and I don't believe it ever has meant, that we can shrug our shoulders and give up on the moral struggle. That's not how I understand it works. In the New Testament book of Romans, Paul asks a whole bunch of questions. And one of them relates to this very issue. And in response, Paul answers his own question with his famous certainly not or by no means reply. It comes in Romans 6. And having laid out in glorious detail the heart-stopping truth that God's love has reached down in Jesus Christ and has brought us redemption and justification and reconciliation and salvation and peace. And you can read all about those in Romans 3, 21, right through to 5, 21. He then faces a question. The question which ought to challenge many people in today's world. All right then. If God loves us that much, and this is not his question, but listen to this. If God loves us that much, even when we have done nothing to deserve it, should we not remain in that utterly undeserving state so that God will go on loving us like that? Should we not? Or to put it slightly more technically or in Pauline language, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Shall we go on sinning? Or shall we remain in sin so that grace may increase or so that grace may abound, depending on your translation? I mean, if God loves rescuing people from the mud and the mess that they're wallowing in, wouldn't it be a good idea to stay muddy and messy so that God will love us all the more? That's, that's how some people think, thought. But Paul's response is short, it's brief, and it's to the point. He says, of course not. By no means. And then he goes on to say, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Back to Tom Wright's book for a moment, Virtue Reborn. Because here's how he explains this, and I find this helpful. 
You may not. I find this helpful. And illustrations are good up to a point. I've often said that. But I find this helpful in trying to get my head and my heart around this. Friend of his, a choir director, takes on the running of a village church choir which hadn't had much help in years. And they had struggled to sing the hymns Sunday by Sunday or to give the congregation any real lead, a wee bit like me this evening. And quite honestly, whatever they attempted was not impressive. And however long they practiced, and if the congregation ever did thank the individual singers, well, it was more out of sympathy. It was more out of sympathy for all their hard work than any appreciation of their musical ability or sound. And however long they practiced, they just didn't seem to get any better. In fact, they were probably merely reinforcing their existing bad habits. And so when the new choir director arrived and he took them on, gently finding out what they could and couldn't do, well, that was, in a sense, an act of grace. And he didn't tell them they were rubbish. He didn't shout at them to sing in tune, because that wouldn't have done any good at all. It would have simply been depressing. Instead, he accepted them as they were and began to work with them. But the point in working with them, the point in doing so, was not that they could carry on as before, only now with someone standing in front of them waving their arms about. The point of taking them on as they were was so that they could really learn to sing. And now, remarkably, they can. Someone that Wright knew went to that church recently and reported back how the choir has been transformed same people new sound now whenever they practiced they knew what they were doing and therefore they could learn how to sound better and that is a great picture of how God's grace works you see God loves us as we are God loves us as he finds us, which is more or less in a mess, mucked up and singing out of tune. And even when we've tried to be good, we've often only made matters worse, adding short-lived pride to all of our failures. But the never-ending wonder at the heart of genuine Christian living is that God has come to meet us right here. In our confusion, in our pride, in our fear, in our mess, in our dirt, in our downright rebellion and sin. That's the point of the Christian gospel. God's love comes to us where we are in Jesus Christ. And what have we got to do? All we have got to do? Accept it. Believe in it. But when we accept it, as many of you have done, when we welcome the new choir director into our ragged and out-of-tune moral singing, we have a new desire to read the music better, to understand what it's all about, to sense the harmonies, to feel the shape of the melody, to get the breathing and the voice projection right. And bit by bit, we find this new incentive, this new desire to sing in tune. And out of that desire to become better musicians, better singers, we begin to practice. 
And we begin to learn habits of how to sing better, to acquire the character not only of good individual singers, but of a good choir. You see, there is a sequence. Yes, grace meets us where we are, but is not content to leave us there. And then that is followed by direction and guidance given to us by the Holy Spirit to enable us to acquire habits, right habits, to replace the wrong ones, to embrace virtues rather than vices. Shall we go on with greed? Shall we go on with envy? Shall we go on with lust so that grace may increase? No. Not a chance. Or let's hope not. Instead, let's make a conscious choice to allow the Holy Spirit to retune us, to form and reform our character. Let's pursue these virtues, which are acquired through practice, which are acquired through the disciplines or the holy habits. Repeated activity that increases our proficiency at the activity and gradually forms our character. But note this takes time. We need to persevere. There is no substitution for ongoing engagement. Character, as I have discovered, I don't know about you, but is a slowly forming thing. The process of sanctification is just that. It's a process. Becoming more and more like Jesus doesn't happen overnight. Fruit grows. It develops. Whatever way you want to put it. But it's an ongoing transformational experience. And if cultivating virtue and avoiding vice is the key to moral formation and spiritual transformation. Then we need to know what the particular virtues and vices and disciplines are and really that has been the point of this series and back in the first week whenever we introduced it I drew attention to two separate but connected extracts from God's word that describe how character is formed and transformed within us from vice to virtue you were taught you were taught to put away your former way of life Your old self. You were taught to put this away. Corrupt and deluded by its lusts. And to be renewed in the spirit of your, in, of your minds. And to clothe yourselves with the new self. Created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and with kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put away, clothe yourselves, put to death, clothe yourselves. And for me, it all speaks of intentionality. It all speaks of focus. Struggle at times, of course, but personal, ongoing, daily, intentional engagement. It's make every effort language. 
We must play our part. Yes, God has given us everything we need for a godly life, but our cooperation is vital. The moral project for each Christian, it seems to be, is to die to self and rise to new life in Christ. And this dying and this rising is the rhythm of a life of discipleship, a life that is devoted to becoming more and more like Jesus. And centuries before, many of this was written down, again Aristotle said that virtues and vices describe aspects of our character that become second nature to us. Vices and virtues describe aspects of our character that become second nature to us. Do you know something that does make a lot of sense? Because if you practice those vices... Or if you practice the virtues, they will become increasingly natural to you. And therefore, for us as Christians, called to put away, to put to death, then we should be intentional about confronting the vices and pursuing the virtues. So that as time goes on, they almost become like second nature to us. So that we become people who naturally become more and more humble and joyful and generous and so on. Because they've become part of who we are. And in many ways that's how the tradition of the seven deadly sins got started. Because back in the fourth century, the desert fathers, the early Christians began a system of self-examination which used or included these seven sins, these seven vices, as a framework for confession. And so rather than praying in general for the forgiveness of sin, they were encouraged and they encouraged others to get specific, to lay particular sins before God and to ask God for the grace to root them out of their lives, to put them to death. And for us, for you and me in the 21st century, I hope, these past seven weeks have contributed to our commitment towards taking sin and spiritual formation seriously. That by exposing these vices, by affirming the virtues and encouraging certain disciplines that we've been inspired or motivated or challenged to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and to just keep running well. Because I I honestly believe, and I've come to believe, is more and more that unless we are intentional about this, unless we make every effort, unless we play our part, unless we cooperate, then sin will easily entangle us. Let me just finish with uh, a couple of thoughts. Looking at these lists can all seem a bit intimidating, like... Where, where do you start? Well, one of my, uh, one of my mentors, often, I uh, haven't seen him for a while, this particular one, but when I do, he always asks me this question. David, what are you and God working on at the moment? What are you and God working on at the moment? And I want to ask you that as you leave here this evening. And only only I want to frame the question slightly differently. Which vice, which virtue, and which discipline 
are you and God going to work on together over the next few weeks? And let me encourage you to be that specific. Let me encourage you to be that intentional. Other ways, you may end up walking out of here and this all becoming a whole bunch of nice or not so nice services that you attended for a while at Windsor Baptist. What vice, virtue and discipline are you and God going to work on together over the next few weeks? The other thing I want to do, and a number of people have asked me, would I do this, is to mention some books that might be helpful for those who want to kind of think about this and reflect on this a bit more. And so I'd like to offer you five suggestions. And here they are. The first is the Bible. <laughs> I know that is to state the obvious, but, but honestly, I mean, it's got to be our starting point, our reference point, and anything else we read has got to be read through the lens of this. And so some of the books that I'm about to recommend to you, uh, there are times whenever you may think, no, I'm not too sure about that, and that's absolutely fine. But as I say, always read them through the lens of this. But the kind of two books that I have used uh, as a, a bit of a basis for this service or for this series are these, The Seven Deadly Sins by Graham Tomlin and Glittering Vices by Rebecca de Young. De Young. Uh, problem with Seven Deadly Sins is, as far as I know, it's out of print. But glittering vices you can still get. Let me also recommend the screw tape letters. For those of you who know it, the seven deadly sins come up time and time again. And uh, someone from the church just a couple of weeks ago lent me this new version of the screw tape letters, an audio version that has just come out, well, it's out a couple of years now, uh, read by, is it Andy Serkins, who, who played Gollum in Lord of the Rings? And it is absolutely brilliant. But just listening to it again, you realize. That, you know, that's what this is really all about, is he was trying to get his apprentice, his junior, to just mess with Christians' lives, using lust and so many of these other things. And then the final book, and I've, I've referred to it quite a bit tonight, and, and I know different people have different takes on where he's coming from and some of the things he says, and I, as I say, I understand that, but also I have found this book incredibly helpful, Virtue Reborn by Tom Wright. Uh, and, and I've used it quite a bit this evening. What I would like to do now is this, uh, and I'm going to ask if the musicians and singers would come back for me. Uh, I'm going to just leave a, a moment's silence before we sing anything and I just want you to consider that question and I would love you to just maybe take some time to pray and ask God for his help in this ongoing transformational process that we are involved in as Christians and becoming more and more like Jesus so that we can reflect him and his character to the people that we will meet this week in our workplaces, in our families in our communities so just a moment of quietness and then we're going to finish with two songs